Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the fifth episode of the Blow Off Bell podcast. It's the podcast for general automotive and motorsports news, as well as anything else car related we might find interesting. We're your hosts, Alex and Tucker. And we've got some uh, kind of a good smattering of interesting news from the uh, automotive world this week, as well as just a tiny bit of fun news uh, that we'll touch on. So I think the biggest kind of news of the week um, is in the EV world, and it's the introduction of the Audi e-tron GT and the kind of hot variant GT RS variant, uh, variant of the e-tron. Uh, they're coming in summer 2021. Uh, basically has an identical wheel by wheelbase to the Taycan. Um, both the cars are built on kind of the same architecture, uh, same dual motor design as the Taycan. Interestingly, it has physical buttons for some of the commonly used items like the HVAC controls, unlike the Taycan and some of the other EVs that are all touchscreen. The GT or the base variant has 476 horsepower and a zero to 60 of about 3.9 seconds. For comparison, the Taycan 4S, which is kind of a similar, its similar range competitor is 522 horsepower and a zero to 60 of 3.8 seconds. The RS variant has a 589 horsepower but it has an overboost function that you can use for two and a half seconds that can take it up to 637 horsepower. It's zero to 60 is 3.1 seconds with overboost engaged. And for comparison, the Taycan Turbo has about 625 horsepower with overboost to 671 and a zero to 60 of three seconds flat. The Turbo S obviously a bit quicker, overboost to 750 horsepower, zero to 60 in 2.6 seconds. Both the e-tron GT and the Taycan share the same 800-volt architecture and recharge at about 270 kilowatts with a fast charger. The e-tron GT is rated for 238 miles, while the RS is rated at 232 miles. For comparison, the Taycan 4S is rated to about 210 miles. The Turbo will do 201, and uh, the Turbo S 192 miles. Again, we know those are underestimate, underestimated um based on people's kind of real world experience. Uh, the e-tron GT is going to start at $99,900, while the RS will start at $139,900. The Taycan 4S, for comparison, starts at $103,800, while the Taycan Turbo starts at $150,900. So, Tucker, as our resident EV guru, what do you think about the, the car, the design? Yeah, I mean, I I was really excited about this car. I think, you know... When the concept came out, probably, you kind of debated waiting for it instead of getting the target on, right? Yeah, I honestly did. I mean, I really, I really liked their, um, you know, concept. It's you know, both of them are built on the J1 platform, and and you can mm-hmm. really see the styling that's reflected of both manufacturers. I mean, the mm-hmm. the Tycon is very smooth, very smooth curves, and mm-hmm. you know the Etron. GT has a lot of angles, you know, right. kind of an aggressive grill. Um, so right. I think they really like reflect the manufacturer's styling and they both look really cool in in very kind of like different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the numbers, you know, when you think about the Volkswagen Automotive Group, it's it definitely fits in the pecking order. I mean, it you can when you read all those statistics, you can see like exactly they tune them exactly where they want them <laughs> in the right pack. yeah that was kind of that was kind of my looking side to side at like horsepower number zero sixty 60 cost i was like oh these 
these are definitely meant to like slot in, you know, Perfect. slightly under want. their, you know, their competitor Tycon level. Yeah. And so, you know, basically what I've kind of come to realize over the years is you're, you're probably not going to see a product come out of Audi that is going to, you know, outdo the similar Turbo S for Porsche right. just because they, that's how they position things. I mean, certainly you'll, you'll have them maybe in the future come out with like a hypercar, an electric hypercar, but, right. you know, that's a little bit of, a, of like a different comparison. But when you're looking at like a yeah. sedan or a two-seater, that's just how this the automotive group is going to, you know, put things right. in. And so I think even their halo cars, I mean, like the top end Audi really was never going to compete with a Porsche 918. Exactly. Know, like, that's, that's just how they, you know, divvy the pie up. And, and that's fine because the truth is uh, those numbers are, like I've said before, they're just silly numbers. I mean, right, you know, zero right. to 60 and three seconds is super fast. Um, right, I, right. I've said to you before, I, I don't think I really need any more than that. And, um, right, right. you know, you look at like the Turbo S doing it in 2.5 and you've got, you know, the Tesla Model S Plaid Plaid be... even even lower than that. And it's like, yeah, oh, my God, plus and like 1.9, supposedly. It's just madness. So really, you know, you yeah, can yeah. kind of like just pick them and whatever makes you you happy. It's going to be a wild experience. I mean, when I test drove the uh, the Taycan 4S, which is basically the equivalent of the gt and i i compared it to my rs3 they were doing zero to 60 times in about the same you know amount of time but yeah, it's a the real world totally yeah it's a totally different experience with that electric torque and so you know even though you may feel like oh, i'm i'm buying the car that's not as quick it's still going to feel insanely quick because at 60 miles an hour when you punch it you're not waiting for any, you know, turbo to spin up. It's just gone. Right, right. And so it's I guess a fun the question, experience. The, the thing that was interesting to me is is yeah. thinking like, as you mentioned, the design's slightly different on the exterior. It's a little bit more angular. But you know, if you're if you have a hundred and forty thousand dollars to spend on an EV, and you're looking at the type, the uh, e-tron GTRS. Why wouldn't you just, you probably have $150,000 to get a Taycan Turbo, you know? Right. And, and granted, like, you know, that's base price. Like the options can get nuts. And I doubt that the Audi options are going to be as, as kind of crazy as Porsche does with their options. But I just, I don't know how many Audi diehards there are out there that are going to pick an e-tron GT or, or GTRS over the, you know, equivalent Tycon model. I agree. I think it's going to be super interesting to see what the sales numbers of these cars are, um, you know, at the end of the year. And mm-hmm. I guess to some extent, it, it's maybe partly explained by, um, you know, maybe the environment you operate in, what kind of attention you want. I mean, the nice thing with the the e-tron GT, it's, you know, Audis, there's quite a few of them out and about, you know, when you're thinking about, you know, A3s, you know, the smaller mm-hmm. Q SUVs. And so it's an expensive car. It's, you know, very quick car. It's very cool looking, but it also, right. it's an Audi. And so you can maybe run a little bit more under the radar with it if that's your goal. You know, the RS 
is going to offer the same, basically the same performance as a Tycon Turbo, but yeah, it, it gives you maybe like a little bit more cover to 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 not stand out quite as much. And so I think maybe it, it's the eye of the beholder to some extent. Some people are going to like the Porsche styling more. Some are going to really like the Audi styling. It, they're very distinct. And so right. um, there's a kind of a flavor for everybody. But as you alluded to, I, I really wonder, you know, how many of these are going to get moved um, yeah. by the end of the year? Because it's not cheap, right? I mean, an, an Audi e-tron no. GTRS is very expensive. And you're, what, you're more expensive than the RS6? Well, that's the interesting cool. thing to me is like, so like the, you know, Porsche, I, I guess at least in Europe, the Taycan was the highest selling Porsche um in Europe this year, whereas like in America, I'm pretty sure the Cayenne is still probably number one, but you know, Porsche customers are used to paying, you know, into the six digits for a new Porsche. So that's stick. Mm -hmm. They're not going to have sticker shock when they go shopping for one of the, you know, a four S or a base Taycan or whatever, but a typical Audi buyer, the guy that got, got the a four, you know, did well in his business that year, decided to upgrade to the A6 or maybe an RS5 or something cool. Is he going to have sticker shock when he's walking in to get uh, an Audi e-tron GT RS? You know, I mean, 150 yeah. grand is starting to knock at lightly used Audi R8 money. And granted, I mean, R8 is not an EV, so it's you're talking, you're not going to cross shop those necessarily, but I'm just talking in terms of just absolute monetary <laughs> output. Uh, that's a lot of money for an Audi. You know, and the other thing that I think that just kind of went through my, you know, head as you were saying that, when you compare that to a Tesla Model S, which, I mean, I know the prices kind of fluctuate on those and they change, they've changed kind of recently, but the general trend has been that they've reduced those prices. And, right. you know, you're you're getting a car that's, I'm, I don't, I can't remember like specific stats on like the long range version, but it's a quick car. It's probably just as big and it will mm -hmm. probably, you know, it's going to have like probably better range. I don't know by how much, but yeah. you're getting that for maybe like 80 grand versus, yeah. you know, and so. I think I you're mean, trying to find a very specific buyer, like someone who I doesn't agree. want the pretension of a Tesla. Or, or to be associated with that kind of perception of pretension. And they want something that looks a little bit more like a normal car. Right. But is also willing to spend, you know, six figures, you know, because the e-tron GT base is still a hundred dollars shy of, of a hundred grand. And I mean, you took one option box, you're over a hundred grand. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, one it's of the a very specific clientele. Yeah, one of the things that will be really interesting, you know, like where where you know where we're at, we I you know we do see a lot of Model S's driving around, and yeah, yeah. and so there are people that are you know in, they are interested in they're they're in that price point, and so I'll be super you know fascinated over the next year to see um, you know how many of these GTs do we end up seeing around, and I yeah, think that I think it's. I think it's I think we will see some. I mean, that's kind of the nice thing yeah. is it's like it's so nice now that if if you are in the market to buy an EV, you're getting some options finally. Like it's right. not it's not just Tesla or a Chevy Bolt. Like right. you, it's you really have... interesting though. Like I think people were willing to pay a lot of money for a Porsche EV 
It's just a matter of like, if you were willing to spend 85 grand on a Model S P100D or whatever, are you willing to spend 20 to $50,000 more on an Audi that's slightly slower and has yeah. 150 less, 150 miles less range? And, I mean, does not pretty, have as, and does not have as good of a charging network at this point. Right. I mean, you're you're having to be pretty dedicated to either wanting, you have to be pretty dedicated to wanting an Audi. Yeah. Um, and, and not some, wanting a Porsche. <laughs> right. Yeah. And for some of those people, you know, maybe, you know, maybe it's like what they're, let's say they've got at home, they've got an A6 and they've got uh, a Q5 or a Q7. And they're right. like, well, I'm interested in this whole EV thing. Um, I just, I, you know, I don't want to drive a Tesla, but we bought Audis for years. They, we've loved those cars. I'm interested. Maybe it's a way for them to kind of, you know, dip their feet in the water and say, I want to trade our A6 and get yeah. this, you know, e-tron GT. Cause you know, hell we've got a, a Q7 that can, that has 500 miles of range, you know, with a tank of gas. So we don't need this as our, you know, transcontinental dog and kid hauler. We've got a car for that. So yeah, it'll be interesting. I, I think it's a it's a really good looking car. It's very Audi, um, and we'll just have to see, you know, how voracious the market is for another, you know, Audi EV. So one other thing that I wanted I wanted to touch on when you went through the the stats and kind of the description of it, and this is something I I see in EVs and this whole like get rid of all the buttons, and mm-hmm. I've seen. The folks on Jalopnik talk about it. I am still a fan of buttons. I like some yeah. tactile things that I can still look at the road and right. know where a button is and push it to like turn a heated seat on or yeah. adjust the AC because it, it can right. become muscle memory. But I think a lot of the companies are, you know, theoretically, we're moving into the potential where you could use voice commands to do all that. But I don't think mm-hmm. those voice commands are. Maybe they're there in some of the Teslas, but I don't know that, you know, Audi and Porsche and, you know, Ford, I don't know if like they can accomplish those voice commands with like consistency. And so I'm still a fan of having some buttons. And so I was kind of, I was excited to see that Audi left some of those. Um, Right. I thought that was, that's why I wanted to include it is I think I totally agree with you. Like, I think, you know, if you want to have like, certain like the suspension management settings and stuff in the MMI that's fine right but when it comes to turning up or down the temperature in the car turning on the defroster stuff like that I want physical buttons we talked last week about Tesla having you know that that big recall for their system because you couldn't turn on things like the defroster if the MMI went down. Yeah. And I mean, the Taycan, it does not have really any buttons. There's a few buttons on the steering wheel. And so you kind of get everything dialed in when you're, uh, you know, before you back the car out and then you just start driving it and you, you tend to not want to mess with a whole lot of stuff. And, uh, you know, the other thing with a lot of the German brands is that they seem to have this like very hierarchical, you know, menus Mm -hmm. upon sub menus to get things. So you really like have to dedicate your full attention to navigating the menu to try to, you know, find the thing that you want to modify. And I think that 
you know, props to Tesla with, with the software they have. I think it's more intuitive. You know, it's more maybe yeah. like an Apple experience where it's like it just does what you expect it to do. I, I have to admit, though, I have scratched my head seeing like automotive media and people they'll tell you every day of the week, oh, you should not be looking at your cell phone while you're driving. You should not be yeah. using your cell phone while you're driving. But then they'll turn around and say, wow, look at this new 17 inch yeah. screen that Tesla's putting in their thing. And look at all these, you know, the the Mercedes EV that's going to have the the gigantic exactly you know, EV uh, LED screen. Whole dash is an LED. Yeah, the whole LED. dash is an LED. And it's like you realize we're looking at a screen to do everything in this car, and that's just as distracting as looking at your cell phone. Yeah, like I said, you know, if you could convince me and say that these voice commands worked flawlessly when you asked it to raise the temperature by two degrees i'd say fine like i think we can probably get Mm -hmm. rid of these buttons but i think you know the concept is like the ev you know you're you're trying to sell people on the future and the future is you know by definition i think has it has to be a different experience but for some reason analog can't exist in the future yeah yeah. And I don't think it I don't think it needs to. And so I think that's potentially where Audi is kind of carving out a, a niche market where they're saying we are the group who is building a bridge between now and the future. And we are yeah, offering yeah. An, an experience that you are used to in our A6s and Q5s. And I think maybe that's going to help some people jump in where they're like this. You know, certain individuals, I mean, God bless my parents, but they're they're not great with computers. And so I think yeah, a Tesla right, would right, be right. literally terrifying oh, to them. My, my parents, <laughs> when they drove uh, my wife's Volvo XC90, they were just baffled by the MMI. Because <laughs> neither of them has a car that has an MMI. Like, they have very conventional cars. And they're like... I would, they were literally texting us as they were like, as they were trying to leave their car, like, Hey, how do you turn this on? Hey, how do you do this? You know? And I'm trying to think like, okay, what sub menus do I have to get into for that? <laughs> you know, uh, and, and when we, when we switched from um, uh, Volkswagen to, th- we bought an Audi e-tron the SUV, it was fairly seamless change. Mm-hmm, I mean, it's, right. it's got a lot of buttons in it. it basically, felt like it was meant to be a q5 but maybe yeah but that's exactly what it is i mean it basically looks like the q5 on the inside except you know instead of putting in a you know a gas nozzle you're plugging in a power nozzle on the side of yeah. it otherwise the experience right. is really not any different right just quieter <laughs> just quite very quiet i mean it's very quiet <laughs> oh the, uh, the other thing i was going to mention about this so this 270 kilowatt charging speed that you know it's something that that everybody hypes and it's yeah, yeah. amazing when you can get it but it's really only the available in there, yeah. yeah in in certain circumstances so one you've got to be hooking up to a charger that can do it so mm-hmm. in this case a car you're talking about an electrify america charging station that's 350 kilowatts Mm-hmm. And the other two things that you're depending on to get that speed, your battery state of charge has to be low. Like you can't pull up to that with 80% battery capacity, plug in and get those rates. You'll just never get it. It's got to be probably like below, I don't know, 35%. And 
And mm-hmm. so on that charging curve, you're only going to get that rate up to about maybe 35%, somewhere in there. I don't know specifically, but then it's going to start to drop off. And um, mm-hmm. the other thing that you're going to have to have, you're going to have to have a warm battery pack. So um, yeah. a couple of weeks ago, I pulled into an EA station with a Tycon. And I mean, it was, you know, it's brutal, brutally cold out right now. And right. I was getting like, you know, maybe 50 kilowatts and my battery was like 30 degrees Fahrenheit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's freezing out and it was also pretty full. So it was maybe at like 60%. So it's a, it's a really sweet number. It's awesome when you can get it, but the truth is it's, you know, only really available in certain circumstances. So probably a lot of your charging in both a, a an e-tron and a Tycon is going to be like, 150 kilowatts yeah you know once you get up to like closer to 90 percent, it's like a chemical reaction you just can't push it as far at that point so then it starts to drop down but it's still going to charge super quick i mean you can probably reasonably expect to pull up to a charger with that car and you know mostly fill it up to 80 percent in probably like 20 minutes or something so pretty quick Mm -hmm. yeah not too bad it's something to keep in mind um, when you're when you're trying to plan trips in these, for sure. Um, so uh, moving on to our next story for the week, which is kind of an interesting little spat that was kind of happening on Twitter and Instagram. But um, so it concerns a company called Litchfield uh, in the UK, who's a tuning company that really made a name for themselves tuning Subarus initially, and then when the R35 GTR came out, they started building these really impressive GTRs, and now they're really well known and do tuning on a lot of different types of cars. Litchfield uh, was uh, talking with Chris Harris, uh, the uh, Top Gear host and automotive journalist, and kind of told him that they had had this interesting experience recently with a a really popular UK car YouTuber named Mr. JWW, who is is a really well-known UK YouTuber. He has a bunch of different brand deals. He works with Aston Martin, Koenigsegg, Maserati. He served as the MC for the Maserati MC20 launch event. Uh, but supposedly, he cold called Litchfield about working on this new Toyota Yaris GR that he just bought, which is a uh, not available in America, but it's kind of a homologation special little uh, hot hatchback. Uh, so he basically asked Litchfield if they would install one of their suspension kits for free and give them 25,000 pounds and a cut of the sales on top of the free suspension kit in exchange for JWW doing videos about the shop and the suspension kit. So kind of a quid pro quo, but he wanted uh, some money uh, and, a, and a portion of the profits. So Litchfield, who, you know, in the uh, podcast he does with Chris Harris uh, about it, kind of comes off as, as a bit of an old school guy, and he was just not happy about it. He said he thought it was rude. Uh, that he's worked with other UK YouTubers who've all paid for the work he's done on their cars. So then JWW replied on Instagram that a company that he con- he contracts to work on endorsement deals for him was actually who contacted Litchfield. That they'd been talking for months. It was not a cold call, and that he'd never actually directly contacted Litchfield themselves. Um, and then he invited Litchfield on his own podcast to kind of clear things up. So. That's kind of where it stands now. It's kind of a he said, she said situation. Um, But what what I thought was interesting and why I wanted to bring it up was, you know, do you think that 
Mr. JWW was inappropriate in kind of if he did what what Litchfield alleges? Uh, or is that just kind of the modern age of marketing, like influencers as spokespeople? We see it on Instagram, you know, the Instagram models hawking, you know, diet shakes and yoga pants and all that sort of stuff. And and it's just kind of accepted now. That's a great question. And, I, you know, I think that, like I've said, you know, to you, I, I wonder if maybe we are a, a little bit outside of the, uh, you know, marketing age range mm-hmm. for that. And, and maybe that's part of the reason this, you know, kind of kerfluffle ended up occurring because I mean, like, you know, you and I intergenerational (laughs) basically. Yeah. Like, you know, we, we got on the, the social media thing, you know, with Facebook, you know, when we were in college, like that was a, that was occurring, but this whole transition to kind of like hawking stuff on YouTube and uh, you know TikTok stuff like this Facebook to me it 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 doesn't quite like resonate exactly but I also don't think I'm a big consumer of of those products to like the same extent and so partly I think that it is the the truth is you know marketing is always evolving and right. you've got to go to where your audience is and you know thinking about that you know Toyota Yaris that is kind maybe like the right it's a hot hatch you know it's a small car mm-hmm. it's probably you know in in the right it's budget geared at people you know yeah. guys in their in their teens and 20s and early 30s maybe yeah and so i think like you could rely on an algorithm maybe on facebook to to find those for you but here's a guy who speaks directly to them and right. I think, you know, maybe if you were a company that's like getting off the ground and you're you're trying to push your product and hit these people with it, this mm-hmm. type of advertisement makes a lot of sense. But, you mm-hmm. know, if you're a well-established company, you know, it's probably maybe more likely that the well-established company just decides to reach out and say, hey, you know, here's what we want to do. We're trying to get a hold of this, you know, age group. Here's what we can right. offer rather than... Right maybe like the flip side. And so right. with him being maybe a little bit more old school, yeah, it was probably jarring, right? I mean, it was like, are are you kidding me? Like these things sell on their own. I don't, I don't need to be giving right. you a cut of every, <laughs> every suspension can right. sell. <laughs> right. Well, and, and he made the point on, on the podcast with Chris Harris. He said, you know, hey, there's going to be, you know, maybe there are a limited number, there are a limited number of these being produced. So he's like, there's probably going to be, maybe two or 3,000 in the UK total and 10% of them decide they want to tune the car and then an even smaller percentage decide they want to get a suspension and then an even smaller percentage decide they want to get from Litchfield. He's like, we're not probably even going to make 25,000 pounds period on the whole suspension kit. And so it, he's like, it, I don't think he really understood what he was asking. I, I think you're right. I think it is a generational thing. I mean, obviously you know, Mr. JWW has these kind of deals with other companies, yeah. um, you know, whether it gets them the use of, a, you know, whether it's a deal with McLaren to use one of their cars for six months as a long-term test car, or, you know, whatever it may be. So I, I, the response I saw on social media was really interesting because there was quite a few like older people, like you could just in looking at their profiles, they were a little bit older. They were like, yeah, this is ridiculous. And yeah. then there were younger people uh, who are like, uh, he did nothing wrong. He's just trying to get paid. Like, <laughs> you know, 
so I think it is really a generational thing. Uh, and as long as he properly, you know, notes in his videos that he's, you know, been sponsored by a company or is, you know, that, it, you know, hashtag ad or whatever the case may be, like, as long as he makes it clear that there's money or product has changed hands yeah. uh, regarding something in the video, I think it's fine. It does seem a little gross, but at the same time, people are watching YouTube probably more than they're watching TV these days. So right. the fact that this guy puts out a video and has 600,000 subs and maybe 300,000 people watch the video or it gets a million views or whatever, like that is going to be really good marketing if, if this guy is saying how great your thing is and he's saying yeah, it right to your target audience. Yeah, it's definitely going to, you know, move product. And I think I think the key is, you know, as like consumers, we just like you alluded to have to keep in mind what the what the agenda is, you know, what are because do they always have a disclosure saying, you know, they're paying me to do this? They're um, supposed to, but no, they don't. They don't always. And so if it's, you know, just a glowing review, you know, it's great to get excited about stuff that you're, you know, passionate about. But right. it's also it's also nice, you know, when the disclosure is like, hey, they just gave this to me and said, you know, whatever you want to say, say about it. Um, right. It's kind of nice, you know, to hear some pros and cons in those reviews rather than just right. like a glowing review because, hey, I'm, you know, being paid to do this and I'm desperate to I, I need this money. So I'll say whatever it, you want me to say. It is funny that there was so much hand wringing about this, you know, and, and I love Chris Harris. I love his reviews. I love his content. But, you know, he was kind of going in a little bit on this whole thing. And, mm -hmm. you know, this is a guy who goes you know, basically gets flown out by McLaren to some racetrack in Spain, put up in yeah. a beautiful hotel with all of his meals paid for, and is given a go in whatever, a 765 LT or 720S or whatever, for a, a, to make a video about it and do a review on it. And it's like, okay, well, why is that okay? But this isn't. To some extent, it, I wonder if it has in part to do with you know, who the influencer is, you know, if it's uh, somebody with, I'm just making something up here, 10 million followers, they probably yeah. command a different independence than somebody mm -hmm. who only has, let's say 10,000 and are trying to make their way in, right. in, in the kind of, this kind of gig, you know, economy right. of advertising. And so I think, you know, with like Chris Harris, you could probably say that if if he wants to get in that car and say some good things about it and then kind of beat it up for 15 minutes, McLaren yeah. probably isn't going to love that, but he may have the independence to be able to do that because a lot right, of his right. revenue stream maybe just comes from the, you know, let's say the 10 million followers he has. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think there is definitely, and I've heard other YouTubers talk about that car YouTubers say like, you know, if you're if if you're a, a massive YouTuber like Shmi 150, and you yeah. can kind of do what you want, but if yeah. you're someone with like 30,000 subscribers who's really pushing to get their channel going, and McLaren offers you, uh, you know, a trip out to test their newest vehicle, you know, and you want to stay in their good graces so that you can keep getting these sort of chances to make content for your channel like there is an incentive to play nice you know 
Yeah. And, and that's the <laughs> knock sure. that I've heard a lot of automotive journalists have against a lot of the car YouTubers is yeah. they say that the car YouTubers say everything is amazing. Every new car is amazing. Everything is, uh, it's just the best. And, you know, I think that while I agree with that argument, it's like, yeah, it is kind of ridiculous when they say every new car is just the greatest thing since sliced bread. It's easy for the automotive journalists to say that because they're getting paid yeah. by their magazine and yeah. can write whatever they want. Yeah, and the subscriber. Uh, and, and, or their, yeah, and their subscribers. Whereas like these YouTube influencers are a bit beholden to, you know, if they don't have a bunch of rich friends who have these cars that they can borrow, they're kind of beholden to the companies to let them borrow their cars. Uh, and so they, they can't like, you can't make a video just saying like this complete shit don't drive this car yeah. or buy this car <laughs> you know and part of the uh, problem so I, part of the problem too i think is you know when you look at like youtube the 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 bar to entry is so low i right. mean compared to like a, a magazine an automotive magazine i mean right. it takes a lot of work to start something like that up there's you know yeah. infrastructure these people aren't necessarily journalists they're yeah. enthusiasts who started a channel yeah you know so anyways i i think it's an interesting debate it is kind of the evolution of modern marketing for sure but uh you know i think it's a i think you're spot on that it's a kind of a clash of old versus new school i think so <laughs> well we're kind of getting short on time but i i did i definitely want to touch on a little bit of motorsports news this week so finally this week hamilton re-signed uh for mercedes uh for the upcoming season and it's a one-year deal uh his teammate Valtteri Botas is also on a one-year contract. So the question is, do you think this is going to be the last year for Hamilton in the sport at Mercedes? Could he go to another team? If he does retire, you know, who's going to take a seat? Does Botas leave at the end of the year? He He's such an interesting guy. He's obviously got a lot of diverse interests. I mean, he's right. left. In he's indelible. got to deal with Tommy Hilfinger. He yeah. does a lot of fashion stuff. He, he's, he's left an indelible mark on F1 at this point. And, you know, the longer he hangs around, basically, he just, you know, ends up cementing that. But he's a younger right. guy. I think he's got a lot of, you know, other interests that he could pursue. It's not, I think at this point, it's not a money thing anymore. He's He's got all the money no. he needs. And yeah. so I'm, maybe it will be. Maybe it, maybe it will be the end of, you know, the reign of Hamilton. I, I think it would be, I'd be really blown away if he goes to another manufacturer. I mean, those... Silver arrows are just so freaking dominant that yeah. um, it's it's kind of like, you know, these quarterbacks that it's time to retire, but they don't want to. And, they you know, they go to another NFL team and it's not it's not a pretty end. Right. It's um, Joe Montana with the Kansas City yeah, Chiefs. It's like, do you really want to end that way? Maybe just go out on right. a high note and go do something else. Go do, you know, rally right. racing in the desert or something. Right. Well, and I think I think it could be his last year because it would be a clean exit with the rule changes coming in in 2022 anytime like any major rule changes have gone into effect it kind of shakes up the hierarchy a bit in f1 so maybe mercedes won't be dominant maybe all of a sudden you know verstappen and and red bull become the team yeah, that can't be beat um or you know mclaren surges forward with daniel ricardo and and you yeah know, so i i think it would be a clean exit for him as you said he doesn't need the money it's really just yeah. You know, does he want to keep personally competing? He he owns a majority stake, I think, in like an extreme E racing team. And he does some other stuff yeah. outside of F1 that 
where he can kind of maybe get his competitive fire still going? You know, does he personally want to keep going? I mean, he he's I think he's still improving year to year. I mean, he's so dominant. I, I don't agree. think it looks his skills don't look like they're fading. No, they um, don't. But, you know, he may say, you know, I've accomplished everything I want to accomplish. I own I mean, he owns just about every record. He's got the most <laughs> Uh, you know, the most championships. He passed Schumacher this year for most wins. I'd have to check, but I think he's probably got the most polls at this point as well. I think so. So, I mean, what what more can he do? I mean, all he's going to do is extend his lead in pretty much every category. Because um, yeah. I think most people are expecting Mercedes to dominate this year again. Yeah, I'm super interested to see what, what he ends up doing. I mean, it's it'll be a little bit of a of an earthquake in a sense. If he does yeah. end up leaving an F1, it really is going to open up the field with the rules. There's a lot of really good drivers out there. You know, I mean, when Russell, you think about... Like, he's got to yeah, be exactly. a lock for a yeah, when, yeah, I mean, obviously, like, these guys are all really good. You know, when you put Russell in, in a silver arrow, he he had an amazing run. Yeah, I think even if Hamilton stays, I think Botas is gone and, and Russell comes in at the end, uh, you know, for the 2022 season. Probably. I, I think that's probably true. You know, I mean, I think he, Russell showed enough when he got to take Hamilton's seat for that race yeah. last season. That's such a crazy. He should have won. Bad I luck. Yeah. I know. <laughs> but just his drive, even after like he had to go back in and pit, like it's just yeah. He, he looks to have all the talent in the world, and and uh, yeah. So it, 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 it was be so fun to see. Yeah, it was so fun to see him out of you know Williams and in a car that that can do what it can do. yeah i mean yeah. it's like oh my god this guy is and this guy's really good <laughs> yeah it showed you how fast he was i mean yeah it's amazing he hasn't gotten he hadn't gotten points before then but it's just unfortunately it shows you how yeah. uncompetitive the williams car is I think so, unfortunately yeah uh well i think that's probably about all the time we have for this week um next we, we did want to try and touch on kind of an interesting discussion of the rise of the CUV and kind of decreasing popularity of the minivans over the last decade or so, but we might have to save that for next week. Yeah. Plenty, um, to, plenty to talk about there. Plenty to talk about. Yeah. So I uh, want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, as usual, it's, it's wonderful, um, you know, getting to kind of have these discussions and, and kind of have a, a fun community to share that with. So once again, if you um, want to follow us on Instagram at the Blofeld podcast, uh, that's where you'll get updates on when the shows go live, as well as a chance to kind of ask us any questions or hit us with any show topics you think would be interesting to discuss. So um, please check us out over there. And until then, we'll see you all next week. <laughs>